Welcome back to Random Book Club Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Van. With me today, again, still, my co-host, Donovan McMullen. Don, how you doing, bro? I am doing great. Can you say with me again when it's like the 19th time and we're going to do like 200 more of these? You know, I, I I don't know. Maybe I should change it with me as always, but everybody uses that one. So we're not going to uh, do that. I hear that all the time on podcasts. We're not your normal podcast, obviously. No. So we're covering The Witcher, Chapter 2, Part 3, and we're going to go all the way to Part 5. So this is, we're going to close out this chapter, and then we'll be starting out a new chapter. So uh, let's just dive right in. Chapter 2, Part 3, and I want you guys to uh, really pay attention to this. I'm going to read the first paragraph, and there, we're going to talk a lot about this paragraph. So I'm just going to read the first paragraph of this part, and um, we'll go from there. Summary, the area was deserted, wild and ominously inhospitable. Geralt didn't return to the highway before dusk. He didn't want to take the roundabout route, so he took a shortcut through the forest. Remember, he just left the gate where Novellan was, and Novellan's like, yeah, try to get to the highway before night because it gets a little rough out here. You know what I mean? So he didn't. So he spent the night on a bare summit of a high hill his sword on his knees beside a tiny campfire into which every now and then he threw wisps of monk's hood. In the middle of the night, he noticed the glow of a fire far away in the valley. He heard mad howling and singing and a sound which could only have been the screaming of a tortured woman. When dawn had barely broken, he made his way there to find nothing but a trampled glade and charred bones in the still warm ashes. Something sitting in the crown of an enormous oak shrieked and hissed. It could have been a harpy or an ordinary wildcat. The Witcher didn't stop and check. And that's chapter two, part three. <laughs> that is literally it. I know. I know. So that's why it was so important for you guys to listen to that, because that's all we get. It's a, it's an interesting paragraph <laughs> to go from literally like a 30-page part to then one paragraph. I kind of like, I don't know. What do you think about doing that as a writer? Is it pretentious? It is. Yeah, it's it like, is. I can't really, I can't, you know why? Okay, here's the thing. Here, Here's the problem. There's rules to writing, okay? And I, I don't profess to know all of them. This is why I don't, my teachers really liked me when I was in any of my free writing classes because I was terrible and I hate, I hate trying to draw shit out, right? Like, yeah. I just want to say it. Um, but there's rules to writing, like when to use commas, when to use periods, stuff like that. So there's also rules that if you change a time and place or you change, like, an event that's happening, that it has to be its own paragraph, right? Or Oh, I so get what I, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he has to stick to a rule. If there's something we're missing about this paragraph that you're like, well, technically every other chapter was, like, a much closer examination of every single minute that he spent or every hour that he was spending. And then this chapter is like, no, we have to just kind of blah, 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 segue into this. Like if, it, I don't know if it's a, supposed to be a segue, maybe it is supposed to be its own section. I, I just, yeah, I don't know if this is a rule. Yeah. It's almost like an interlude or it's like, it's almost like it was the, the, the bare bones of what he was going to fill in. Like he's like, I'll finish this later. This is just what I want to get done. I'll fill it later. And then just didn't. It almost seems unfinished. 
I mean, we get everything we need to know. It's all very concise. But like you said, there are no breaks. There's no natural breaks. And he goes through the woods, takes a shortcut, camps out, then hears screaming of some sort of dark ritual or something in the distance. And then yeah, the morning goes there. And when he passes it, he goes right past it because in a tree high up, there's something screeching at him. And it could have been a harpy or a wildcat. All those things happen, but it's all in one paragraph. <laughs> so let's bring up some discussion points, eh? Points of discussion. So in the middle of the night, Geralt hears a mad howling and singing and also sees the faint glow of a fire burning in the distance. Then he hears the tortured screams of a woman. This seems like he's overhearing a sacrificial ritual in the distance. My question is, does this have anything to do with the story or is it just world building? <laughs> like, and that may be why, and that may be why he put it on its own page. Yeah. You know, you know, it's different. It's different, but like, like what is the point? I guess I don't understand. Like we go from, uh, the very beginning of this chapter, like going to investigate some murders that he saw on the road, going to this manor that's walled in. We think that it's it's uh, a bad guy. Ends up the monster's pretty nice. You know, we saw some weird girl on the hill before then, which caused Roach to get all scared. But then when we get into the manor, it's just like we have a meal. You know, so like how yeah. does Geralt? leaving, not going to the highway, spending the night, and then just, um, I don't know, like going to check out some ritual site in the, in the morning. Like my question is like, okay, so if it has, if it has to do with the story is the, was the ritual performed by Verena? You know what I mean? Like, uh, the, the girlfriend of Novellan is like she doing this. Like, is that, is she the reason why the area is so dangerous at night? Or is it just like the locals? You know, like if it's so, world building, that's cool, but I had the same exact thoughts. Like I was thinking the same exact things when I got to this part of the book, and I think I just kept going because I was yep. like, "It's like all right." Whenever I get confused, I just go like, "All right, we're just gonna keep going past that." Then and hopefully, it clarifies. I kind of like these little. I mean, um, I know it seems kind of pretentious. The the ones that I that I really don't like are the ones where they just have a single word. I've seen a few authors do that where the next chapter is a single word. Like, like the, the way that the last chapter ends is like, and then he goes into the dark cave to wait. And then the next chapter, he waited a long time. And then the next chapter, then it starts again. It's like, come on, you wasted a whole freaking number chapter on that. But this one, if it's given us world building, all right. And then it also makes you feel good. Cause you finished a like a part in a, in a, in like five minutes, you know? I mean, again, I think I feel like this one sees more following a rule and has to in some dumb way, either the translator or the author. Uh, and there, again, there might be a Polish rule we don't know about in, of writing, you know, like. Right. So it's oh, just one point. of those things. Yeah. So it, to me, it's he wanted to make this more important than just hanging on the end of the last chapter. That's what I see. OK, right. That's my first. That's my first. If I don't think it's pretentious, like then this is what I'll give you the benefit of the doubt is maybe you wanted that little part to stand out because it was profound. But to me, this is nothing really crazily profound, right? right? It's not like it's summing up or proving a point or so it's kind of like, eh, all right, it could have just gone on the last one. 
Yeah, and, and it is just it. a short story. So, you know, it's its own little story. Maybe this is his little edition of the world building. I'm okay with that. I so, mean, if we got to see a little bit more into who he is as a character, maybe, well, then I'd understand why it was its own little section. We do get to go deeper because you know I'm not letting a paragraph go without going deep, right? Okay, yeah. That's, so, <laughs> that's not fair. So let's go into objects of note. Wisps of monkshood. While camping out at night, Geralt makes a fire and periodically throws wisps of monkshood in the fire. While this seems like a small detail, I wanted to go deeper. Yeah. So I googled burning monkshood. And a few clicks later, I found a website called earthwitchery.com. <laughs> and it's a website dedicated to the magical gardening uh, with articles on various flowers and herbs you can grow to assist in rituals and spells. <laughs> and I found monkshood under a different but common name of wolfsbane, which is kind of cool because Geralt has a wolf on his, mm-hmm. you know. Mentions Wolfsbane and we, earlier. And, yeah, and we yeah we already kind of learned about monkshood earlier. Uh, the article describes the various properties of monkshood, including what we have already learned back in our first chapter, uh, which is which is that the flower is very poisonous. We already knew that. Under the magical uses section, though, I read that monkshood is mainly used for protection and invisibility. Burning the roots and leaves can bring protection and magical watchfulness against negative energies in the in a ritual. So. Um, this may have been intentional then when Geralt throws small pieces of this flower into the fire as he hears what could have been a ritual sacrifice off in the distance. He's protecting himself from being known, like being aware or like not aware, yeah. like from people s- sensing him. If there is truly bad shit in the woods, maybe this is Geralt, you know, knowing that there's bad shit in the woods. Maybe he try is trying to figure out what's going on even further. Um, and so he's going to hang find out. What if we find out he just doesn't give a shit and he's just like covering his own ass. Yeah, that's that could be too, to you know? Um, but it's cool because now it makes it seem like, yeah, period. You know, he, he sat up at the fire with his sword across his knees and he just Ready throws, to go. In, throws in wisps of monkshood to keep himself, you know, hidden from detection, I guess. That's just how he do. That's Geralt being a hundred years old, you know. He's been around the block. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So of course he's got some monk's hood in his um bag. All Probably right. That little truck with the potions. Flora and fauna. We've got a wildcat mentioned as a possible uh thing screeching at him high up in the tree. And Beast here, we got Harpy. I don't know if we brought up Harpy before, but could have been what shrieked at Geralt. And that does it for chapter two, part three. Let's move on to chapter two, part four, which again is another one of these like single paragraph, like couple sentence <laughs> chapters or parts. So here's the summary, which is verbatim from the book, the book itself. About midday, while Roach was drinking at a spring, the mare neighed piercingly and backed away, baring her yellow teeth and chewing her bit. Geralt calmed her with the sign. Then he noticed a regular ring formed by caps of reddish mushrooms peering from the moss. You're becoming a real hysteric, Roach, he said. This is just an ordinary devil's ring. What's the fuss? The mare snorted, turning her head toward him. The witcher rubbed his forehead, frowned, and grew thoughtful. Then he leapt up into the saddle, turned the horse around, and started back, following his own tracks. Animals like me, he muttered. Sorry, Roach. 
It turns out you've got more brains than me. And that's it. That's part four. So, so why does Geralt turn back here? Basically, Geralt rolls up with the horse with Roach. That was my animal's affinity. Yes. That's what I was talking about earlier. That's where I remembered it. I was like, I thought I heard that, but I could be wrong. But uh, maybe he's just full of himself. Or maybe he's just saying, like, I don't know. Maybe it's a saying that got poorly translated. <laughs> Who knows? So what we'll do is, is uh, here, here's my point of discussion. Why does Geralt turn back? And in, after encountering the Devil's Ring, Roach becomes hysterical again. And Geralt somehow puts something together in his mind about Nivellen being good with animals and that Roach has a better sense of what's really going on than him. It seems like we'll just have to keep reading in hopes that our boy G-Man will reveal yeah. his true thoughts in the matter, which he does in the next part. And I just wanted to show, um, you're not going to see this, Don, once again, but I'm going to show what a devil's ring is. Uh, no, that's oboe and flute. That's anthracite. That's monk's hood. And, oh, here we go. So, um... Devil's ring is basically um, like a growing of mushrooms that grow in a circle. And actually, I have that in Flora and Fauna, so I'll just read what that has to say. So, also known as a fairy ring, it is a naturally occurring ring or arc of mushrooms. Most traditions believe that the rings occur from fairies using it as a portal from the fey realm to eat and dance. However, in Dutch legends, it is said that the ring is formed from the devil setting down his milk churn. Thus the name Devil's Ring. According to ancientorigins.net, which is the site that I have pulled up here, it is generally felt that fairy circles are to, are to be avoided as they are associated with malevolent beings. It continues to explain that if you step in one, you could be transported to the fey realm, become invisible, die young, or be forced to dance around the ring until you die of exhaustion. Crazy! So, so that's the thing that Roach sees and starts freaking out about. And then that's when Geralt starts putting two to two, two and two together, which we're going to learn about later. Um, let's see. What else do we got here? That I mean, that's it. That's all I have for that part. Uh, so moving on to um, chapter two, part five, the final part of this chapter. This is much longer, so this is going to be more normal here. Summary. The mare flattened her ears against her skull and snorted, throwing up earth with her hooves. She didn't want to go. Geralt didn't calm her with the sign. He jumped from the saddle and threw the reins over the horse's head. He no longer had his old sword in its... He no longer had his old sword in its lizard, lizard skin sheath on his back. It was... Its place was filled with a shining, beautiful weapon with a cruciform uh, and slender, well-weighted hilt ending in a spherical pommel made of white metal. This time, the gate didn't open for him. It was already open, just as he had left it. So they just returned, Geralt and Roach. And instead of calming Roach, he wants to use Roach's ability, like you were talking about before, to be like, okay, let me know when we're getting close. You know, if Devil's Ring is associated with malevolent entities and that freaks Roach out, then he's like, oh, I can use this. I can use Roach's ability to tell where the bad thing is. You know, I think. Does he need to? Is he looking for the bad thing? Yeah, I don't know. He just didn't use the sign. 
on Roach, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So as Geralt enters, he hears singing. He, could, he couldn't understand the words, but he didn't need to. He understood the power of it. It was a piercing song which flowed through his body, causing sickening, a sickening wave of overpowering menace. Then abruptly the singing stopped, and he sees Verena clinging to the dolphin statue in the dried-up fountain. Her tiny hands were so pale, they seemed transparent. Behind her tangled black hair, he saw her massive eyes, the color of anthracite. And anthracite is a, um, it's a coal that has kind of a, a foily sheen. You, you, can you kind of imagine that? Yep. Um, I'll pull that up real quick. I got a little picture of anthracite. This is what anthracite looks like. It's, it's just basically a chunk of coal that, you know, shines in the light. You know what I mean? Which is cool. All right, so Geralt moves in closer, making a semicircle between the blue rose bush and the wall. Verena doesn't move an inch, but followed his advance with just her head. Her expression was longing and full of charm. Geralt could still hear her song, even though her mouth was completely shut and no sound came from it. Very creepy. The Witcher stops ten paces away and slowly draws his silver sword from its black enameled sheath he tells her that the blade is silver and her expression didn't change and she didn't flinch so he's like hey this is silver and she doesn't do anything and he's like the blade is silver like this would probably hurt you and she still is just playing it cool so here's a here's a part from the book here's a little excerpt here you're so like a Rasulka, the witcher continued calmly that you de- you could deceive anyone all the more as you're a rare bird, black-haired one. But horses never are mistaken. They recognize creatures like you instinctively and perfectly. So that is how Geralt put together that Verena wasn't a Rasulka, but indeed some sort of vampire. What are you? Gotcha. What are you? I think you're a mula or an Elpor. An ordinary vampire couldn't come out in the sun. The corners of the pale lips quivered and turned up a little. Navellan attracted you with the shape of his, uh, with that shape of his, didn't he? In referring to how big he is. You evoked his dreams. I can guess what sort of dreams they were, and I pity him. So she was the one who caused the bad dreams that Navellan was having, where he's like, I feel like something's going down. Like, this is really weird. So anyway... Geralt continues laying out his thoughts, connecting the dots that she was trying to enslave Navellan's mind through the nightmares so that he became a true monster and not just a monster, not just a human in a monster's skin. He continues his logic, stating the fact that she has recently drank blood, the ultimate measure, as he puts it. And that means she hasn't managed to completely take taken control over Navellan yet. And this put, and this point Verena starts to nod in agreement so now you know she's completely silent he can still kind of hear the song in the background even though her mouth isn't moving and she's just allowing him to speak while he's got his silver sword pointed at her it's a really cool looking scene and he's like so you're the one who's causing the villain to have bad nightmares you're trying to take over his mind and enslave him so that he'll be yours and it's it hasn't worked up to this point so that's why Navellan was talking to me before, being like, should I be worried? And it's like, yeah, you should, you know? And so all that came together, and then she starts to go, yeah. You know, like, she doesn't say it, but she nods, you know? 
Now Geralt asks if she sees herself as the lady of the manor now. And she nodded and she nod nodded more uh empathic. She not nodded. She nodded some more. So now she's getting into it. <laughs> then he started guessing plainly. Are you a moolah? It's a type of monster. Verena shakes her head in plain denial and hisses. And Elpor, another denial. So these are the two types of vampires that Geralt thought she was. And then this is from the book. This is when the big reveal comes. The Witcher backed away and clasped the hilt of his sword tighter. That means you're... The corners of the lips started to turn up higher and higher. The lips flew open. Abruxa! The witcher shouted, throwing himself toward the fountain. From behind the pale lips glistened white, spiky fangs. The vampire jumped up, arched her back like a leopard, and screamed. The wave of sound hit the witcher like a battering ram, depriving him of breath, crushing his ribs, piercing his ears and brain with thorns of pain. Flying backward, he just managed to cross his wrists in the sign of Heliotrop. The spell cushioned some of his impact with the wall, but even so, the world grew dark, and he remembered, or, and the any remainder of his breath burst from his lungs in a groan. So, boom, battles on. She's a Bruxa. <laughs> Still no idea what that is. Still no idea what that is, but... Thanks, though. Thanks for clarifying that, because I have no idea what the hell that means. But it's... Oh, Brooks. Okay, cool. So like, <laughs> and we'll get into it in the, in the creature section, but he thought she, he knew she was a vampire based on Roach's reaction. And he kind of thought, Oh, you're a moolah or an Elpor, various types of vampires. And, and he's comfortable with just having his sword out for that. But then when she's like, nah, man, I ain't, I ain't those things. Now, you know, she's a level up. And he's uh, like, my you're guess, a and he's screaming. I guess it's like saying, like you're a high vampire. Oh, no, you're an alpha. Like you're yeah. the original vampire. Fuck. Yep. So it's like, okay. So that's cool. So this is when, the, uh, now with the fight started, Geralt looked back at the fountain where the black-haired girl in the white dress had been. Now was an enormous black bat, opening its narrow jaws wide to reveal rows of needle-like white teeth. The bat silently blasted her way toward Geralt, who shouts a spell and uh, Geralt who sh shouts a spell and throws his hand into the sign of Quen, which sends the bat veering off, hissing all the way. So we got we got signs going left and right here, dude. Oh wait, wait, wait! Is that what is that what uh, the first the sign monster, he used? The monster guy. No, no, no. The monster man when he said. Uh, animals like me was you referring to the bat is that what he put together is that literally I think so oh my god because she's an animal animals yeah. like him and then and then when um Geralt was like oh do you like or does she like cats too and he's like no birds because a bat's a flying creature you know yeah so mm. either that yeah I don't know that I mean that bird reference might also be to like the women she kills. I'm not sure. Doesn't matter. Turns. <laughs> you know, like what is this England? Yeah. The Witcher attempts to trade blows with the Bruxa as she attacks, but her speed was so impressive it surprised Geralt when he would miss, and he missed a couple times, tripping up his rhythm. After flying up high, the Bruxa transforms her jaw into the pale little lips to let out a bellowing shriek attack 
at the Witcher, which sounded to him melodic and full of hatred. And this is um, this is a part from the book where it describes the attack that comes onto Geralt, and I thought it was just a really cool, like cinematic, very cinematic moment for me. The sound wave was so powerful it broke through the sign, that that sign of Quen. Yeah. Black and red circles spun in Geralt's eyes. His temple and the crown of his head throbbed. Through the pain drilling in his ears, he began to hear voices wailing and moaning, the sound of a flute and oboe, the rustle of a gale. The skin on his face grew numb and cold. He fell to one knee and shook his head. So, like I said, this was like a very cinematic moment for me. The sound of a gale wind with the instruments in the background and voices wailing and moaning. Like... Um, it seemed to me like it's that moment in a movie where everything kind of slows down. And then he, he explains that he hears an oboe and a flute, which if you know what those two instruments sound like together, it's kind of like melodic and haunting, you know, one's low, one's high. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. And he hears moaning and wailing of voices. And so this gives me the idea that that she's blasting him with some sort of the same magic that Novellan gets at night in his nightmares, but like awake attack form, you know what I mean? So like, what are the nightmares consistent of? All we know is that Geralt says he can only imagine and he feels bad for Novellan what the nightmares are that he's having. But it, what I, my little canon universe is that Geralt's experiencing something from his past. You know, he's old at this point. We've established that. And maybe, like, those instruments are that he's hearing are, like, from some old school that he was at or some old orchestra that he was at with, like, an old lost loved one or something like that. And the wailing voices and the moaning is all the people that he's killed or something. And hearing the gust of wind is like maybe he was on some sort of like cliff face one time, like going to jump off. And it's like all these terrible thoughts going into his head, causing him to, you know, have this psychic attack pressed on him. Mm. And so for me, I thought that was really freaking cool. Obviously going way too deep into it, but I really I liked assume, it. I would assume the same thing, but the other way around where it was the bad guys shit. On oh the, uh, yeah. Verena's bad past or yeah. something. Yeah, that's the way I would interpret that. But that's yeah, interesting. Dude. Yeah, that's super interesting that we would both because like when you said it that way, I'm like, that's not using his own side because we see that in what when Luke goes into the tree and has to fight self. Okay, that's the same idea as uh, I won't spoil any of the new ones. Oh, it's only been five years since they've been released, so we won't spoil, spoil any those. Of the new Star Wars movies. Spoil it, dude. Yeah, yeah. That's what this whole podcast is about. Is we just spoil. We're spoiling we're... new Star Wars. That's okay, all, all we right. do. Oh, same thing that Ray does, right? When she sees evil Ray. Yep. Okay, so it's the same idea as the reflection of your own sins, the reflection of your own bad thoughts. But it, that's so it's not a that's not that's equal. That's just as equal. And you know what? We could both be wrong. It could be something totally different. Yeah. It could be the fact that this vampire just like when it sings can sing a bass clarinet oboe you said oboe right yeah and a flute at the same time it's got like 19 vocal cords and they're like well actually you're wrong like oh cool it's a psychic type pokemon that has the sing ability you know what i mean right yeah that's what i'm saying yeah so finally after nimbly dodging a physical attack Geralt scores a hit with the silver blade which is described as feeling like almost that it almost met no resistance almost 
So like as he slices her with it, it kind of goes through her, but he feels just a tiny bit of resistance, which goes back to what you were talking about in our previous episodes about how the silver attacks these like evil entities, not just monsters. This isn't a straight up monster. This is like a, a bad beast. You know what I mean? The Brooks. Yeah. The Brooks starts transforming back into the girl with a bloody mark on her chest. Now the witcher dares her to scream some more to lose her strength. And she starts talking without moving her lips that, it is he who will lose his strength first and that she will kill him. And Geralt says, we will see. <laughs> Every time she says that she's going to kill him, he's just like, we'll see. Yeah, we will see. Yeah, we'll see who wears out. Suddenly, Verena's name is called out from the entrance of the manor as Novellan comes stumbling toward the fountain, bloodstained cuff on his tunic. So she fed on him earlier. Like, when Geralt first comes in and sees her, she's got blood on her face, so she had just fed. And it turns out when he said, like, this is the ultimate move or whatever you're making, she was feeding on Novellan. So Did she'd be able to forever, I'm assuming, or what? You know, potentially, or maybe it makes him, you know, they love each other or whatever, so maybe it makes him weaker so that she can eventually take him over or something. You know, I don't know. Verena turns her head quickly and screams again at Geralt, but Novellan grabs her and gets blasted into the wall. So as she's screaming, ready to attack Geralt, Novellan comes out yelling Verena's name, grabs her by the shoulders, like, what are you doing, you know? And he gets blasted into the wall, into some wooden scaffolding. Geralt runs in a semicircle, distracting the brooks from Novellan. Now in girl form, she darts at the Witcher with incredible speed. Tired, but still deadly. So now she's that girl in the white dress again, Darting from back, you know, blasting, doing swift attack, you know, from bush to bush. Now she's doing that in a freaking fight. Interesting, though. Interesting that it shows our character uh, not go after somebody who's just thrown into a building, just continuing the fight like it was nothing. Yeah. Like, bam. And oh, not, that sucks. And All not, right. Yeah, not right only that, but distracting her from him. You know, like, like, oh, he's probably down right now. If she goes after him, he's definitely dead. Yeah, no that's true, but, that. he but he doesn't even check in on that. So, no. like, yeah, and I, I partially, again, that's to blame is, I'm assuming, what is American culture when it comes to movies and shit, that the good guy has to be overly good. Like, yeah. oh, no, Veronica. <laughs> like, if somebody takes yep. a hit, right, Captain America can't just keep fighting. He has to, yeah, like, you have to scream their name oh, and cry go have a, a three-minute conversation yep. while the bad guy just sits there and waits, and then you go in the you get super strong because now you're rage now mad. You're really mad. Like, yes. You're mad. You kill my best friend. How dare you kill my best friend? Then like, you can beat him now alone because the two of you couldn't do it. Right. So my point is, is like, that's how I feel. <laughs> nope. He's just like, Oh, you got thrown into some shit. That sucks. Boom, 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 boom. Let's keep fighting. Yep. The kids love that stuff. Um, in the movie American movies. But yeah, I like this where Geralt's just kind of like, he rolls with the punches, any situation he's in. He just like, all right, here we go. So Geralt runs in a semicircle, distracting the Bruxa from Novellan. Now in girl form, she darts at the Witcher with incredible speed, tired, but still deadly. Novellan claws out of the rubble of the ruined scaffolding, grabs a broken wooden support pole, Calls Verena's name, and when she turns, he skewers her in the chest with the broken end. 
She didn't scream, just let out a sigh that sent shivers down the witcher's spine. So we're talking vampires. Classic vampires get killed from a wooden stake. Navellan just got blasted into the scaffolding against the wall. He took a broken piece of the pole, calls out for her, and just, boom, has to stop her, you know? Navellan is horrified and pained and begins to step backwards, pulling Verena along with the pole. So she's skewered on this pole. He's stepping backwards, toward back toward the manor, and she's coming along with because she's on the pole right now. Until the end of the pole stops at the wall of the manor where Novellan sits down hard. Verena starts pulling herself towards Novellan in that classic, you know, you get stabbed by a sword and you just get closer and closer. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. Verena starts pulling herself toward Novellan, the pole protruding longer out from her back with each advance, blood pouring out. And it says it's like grotesque. And we were just giving it credit for not being like like a stupid over-the-top movie. And it gets very bloody. Geralt stood, fascinated by the scene, but couldn't act. Verena speaks to Novellan in her silent but resounding voice. Mine or nobody's. I love you. Love you. She pulled herself closer to the beast man, him screaming and pushing the pole away to no avail. She drew closer, grabbed his head, and tilted her head towards Novellan's throat. And here is the exciting conclusion from the book. Well, I guess it goes on a little bit more after that, but whatever. Here we go. Geralt jumped. Every move he made, every step was part of his nature. Hard learned, automatic, and lethal, lethally sure. Three quick steps, and the third, like a hundred such other steps before, finished off the left leg with a strong, firm stamp, a twist of his torso, and a sharp, forceful cut. He saw her eyes. Nothing could change now. He heard the voice. Nothing. He yelled to drown out the word which she was repeating. Nothing could change. He cut. He struck decisively, like a hundred times before, with the center of the blade, and immediately, following the rhythm of the movement, took a fourth step and a half turn. The blade, freed by the half turn, floated after him, shining, drawing a fan of red droplets in its wake. The streaming raven black hair floated in the air, floated, floated, floated. The head fell onto the gravel. Ooh, 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 ooh. Yeah. Super beheading. Yeah. And I, I really like how, it, how it goes into in like it's that slow motion shot. He. Well, we he, know he's he's five steps away. Uh, four, four, five steps four or five. I mean, f- the fifth. Well, four, the four steps. He pulls it out. So like, it's going to give him some reach. That's going to give him about a steps distance reach with yep. that sword. But he hits them. So like four and a half, five steps away. So that's good to know. Kind of paints a better picture too. It's very yeah. cool. And yeah. I, I like how they keep saying like he's done a hundred times before. It's like practiced. You know, he was just standing there watching this bloody mess happen in front of him, where she's proclaiming her love for Novellan and saying, you're mine or nobody's, and then goes to try to bite him in the neck, not in the wrist where I guess doesn't kill him or whatever or turn him, but now she's like, I'm going for you. And that's when Geralt finally acts out of, like, her automatic, or his automatic self. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, it's just his nature. And I just like that it says hundreds of times before he's done this and just perfectly executed beheading coup de gras 
Novellan has a short speech where he recounts almost incredulously, like at this point she's dead, the head's on the ground. He's he's like, what? You know? And so he's saying that there are fewer and fewer monsters, kind of referring back to when they were having a conversation at dinner. And he right. and then asks what he is. You know, is he a monster? Remembers that the roses from Nazir and ends with a, a how quiet it is, how empty he feels now. Because before he was, you know, kind of being protruded on all the time by his girlfriend. And now that her head has been lopped off, she has no power over him, you know? So then he curls up into a ball within the nettles against the manor wall, shivering and twitching. The witcher tells him to get up, and the young, handsome, well-built man with pale complexion lying against the wall raised his head and looked around in confusion, no longer a beast. Now in human form, Novellan checks himself all over, rubbing his teeth with his fingers, and can't believe it. Geralt tells him that he's got medicine in his saddles bags and they both need to go. Novellan sees Verena's body and Geralt tells him not to look, that it's time to go. And here's how the part ends. They crossed the courtyard, holding each other up, and passed the blue rose bush. Novellan kept touching his face with his free hand. Incredible. Geralt, after so many years, how is it possible? There is a grain of truth in every fairy tale, said the witcher quietly. Love and blood, they both possess a mighty power. Wizards and learned men have been racking their brains over this for years, but they haven't arrived at anything except that... That what, Geralt? It has to be true love. Boom. End of the chapter. So the the curse was broken. He is a human again. And I just really... That was the end. Bro, it's all it took. You fell in love with somebody and I cut her head off. And now you're free from the curse. Because we don't know. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that when we go into the magics of this uh, in our points of discussion. Because uh, that, that is a good point. Uh, but let's start off from the top. Points of discussion. Realism in fantasy writing. We kind of touched on this a little bit earlier where you're saying there's certain rules to follow and all that. And I had a little bone to pick in this chapter as well, or this part. When Geralt and the Bruxa Verena um, are fighting, there is a part where she flies up and screams melodically at the Witcher in a mind-blasting attack which sends his vision and head spinning. Through the pain drilling in his ears, he began to hear voices wailing and moaning, the sound of flute and oboe, the rustle of a gale. When Andre describes Geralt hearing an oboe and a flute, this was kind of jarring to me and sent me out of the story. I suddenly was asking myself questions like this, uh, about this fantasy world, like, so they have oboes and flutes in this world? <laughs> you know what I mean? So does this mean they have orchestras too? You know, this yeah, is like... Of course. Yeah, of course. Dan Dillion has a fucking lute, oh, so... Oh, does he? Okay. Yeah. All right, that's cool. So, so if they have orchestras too, that's good. So what other... Real world things might also exist in this world. Does this kind of I thing thought, throw you off too? Uh, no, no, because there's a lot of the herbs and stuff that we have in real life. Okay. Yep. So like, so they're just using those. So I mean, to me, that doesn't really throw me out of it. If anything. So um, yeah, I have I more. I think to what s- throws me out of it is. It's just uh, I mean, the two the two instruments he chose. He chooses are the oboe and the flute. Now, if he said he he heard a melodic uh, plucking of a lute, that seems more fantasy to me. 
you know. Um, but I guess you flutes know, are pretty fancy. Oboes are I nobody guess, uses an oboe. You know, oboe is kind of like royalty kind of thing. Um, they could have used like a pan flute. You know, those kind of are like a piccolo. Like that would have been. You know, if if they would have said he heard a, a piccolo and a lute duet in the background, that would have been kind of cool. I mean, I don't know how that would sound, but you know, I guess that seems more fantasy than a flute and an oboe to me. But I'm just not. Yeah, I don't know. I so, guess. I mean, I guess it for me it'd be like if they're like, yeah, yeah, an electric guitar and a saxophone. Yeah. It's totally different to me i feel like a, a flute and an ovo who cares yeah so i kind of go like, into this right. a, a little bit further so i believe I that it was ward brats too. what i believe it's like they got ward brats in the medieval times yeah that would totally throw me off so uh some more that i wrote on this particular topic is i believe that it was J.R.R. tolkien that said in regards to realism in fantasy writing on writing fantasy to think of the story like a translation from the original languages and culture to something that we could understand. So it's almost like the like it's like the person who's writing the book is obviously just a, a writer in our world, but it's from the perspective, like the narrator's perspective is that of someone who's translating into whatever right. you know, into their own language. So there are gonna be things that automatically just kinda um you know, get translated that maybe wouldn't be the actual thing. So um, I like that concept of thinking of it more like a translation rather than like this is exactly like they all have to have their own. Every magic spell has to have a unique name and every creature has to have a unique name and all the flora and fauna have to be their own unique trees and stuff. That's just way too much time. It just makes it easier just to jump in the story if you just do these kind of normal things, you know. So it didn't ruin the story right. for me. Everything every 15 seconds. Cause yeah. you'd be like, it's just like a patate and yep. a patate. Yes. And you're like, well, oh, a patate sounds like a flute. Yeah. It sounds like an oboe. And you're like, okay, why don't you just say flute and oboe? Right. Yeah. It's, do it's too every clunky. 15, like one paragraph be the size of the whole book just to describe everything in one sentence. Yeah. You'd have to have a whole appendices, you know? Are you just making up your own words now? Is that what's this gibberish? It's a whole book of gibberish. It didn't ruin the, the story for me, but it came close to breaking the fourth wall, personally. But now that I've talked to you about it, I'm, I'm more okay with letting oboes and flutes go. In all fantasy stories I've read, um, I have to allow for some of this. Like when all the flowers and animals, uh, of course, there's going to be overlap there. Like, you know, there's going to be deer, there's going to be wolves. And, you know what? Whatever, that's fine. So something like that, um, something that would break the story for me would be like if Geralt or another character would use phrases like, wow, that was awesome, or specifically naming a real, um, like a real world situation, um, like months. So like uh, there's this book called The Sword of Bedware, which was the first book I read for, or that Justin and I read for a random book club podcast written by R.A. Salvatore, where it's a completely fantasy world. There are cyclopses, dwarves, elves, and everything. But there are several mentions of the time of year where they actually name the months, but the months are our months. So they're like the the warm September night. And that just totally threw me out of the story. You know what I mean? Yeah, right, like, right, 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 right. It's right. like we're, we're drinking at a dwarven bar and 
<laughs> it's it's September. You know, like no, it's near the fifty sixth. Yeah, it's like, just, oh yeah, that makes sense because it's dormant. All right, yeah. like it would have been better just to say something like, um, you know, something about moons or something like that. Oh, this after you know, on the ninth moon, it's always warm or some shit. You know what I mean? Like change it up. You know, like just straight up using and like they use multiple months in that book, and it it just kind of threw me off every time. It actually made me think that it was like a, a time travel book for a second, and it never was. So, um. Things that are more subtle that I do let slide are words like mom and dad, like in a fantasy world. Right, you know, right. You know, maybe those terms wouldn't actually exist, but I just let it go because it's like, eh, you know, um, or like, wait a second. So like that would imply that they'd have some sort of measurement of time that second would be in there, you know, but they probably don't have stopwatches or something like that. But if they say, wait a second, it doesn't hitch me up. I just let it roll, you know? So, yeah. you mean. Uh, next point, Novellan's wooden stake. The fight with Geralt and Verena draws to a close when Novellan, who recovers himself after smashing into a wall, stabs his love Verena with a wooden pole. I love that in the beginning of this chapter, we when we're introduced to the walled-off manor, the wooden scaffolding is mentioned in the description, and now it is used as the very thing that stops Verena's rampage. So I just like that callback stuff. It seems like he's writing these short stories in such a concise way that everything that he writes has some sort of sim, like some significance in the story. In the very beginning, when they when Roach and Geralt first come up to the manor, as soon as he walks through and sees the dried fountain stuff, he also explains on one of the walls there's like a, a wooden scaffold. Well, now this actually came into play in the final battle, you know? So I like that. Yeah. All right, moving on to magic and spells. The sign of heliotrope is a magical sign used by witchers. It is made by crossing one's wrists and works as a buffer against physical attacks combat magic, and impacts with walls, ground, etc. Contrary to Quen, which is active until broken or dispelled, the Heliotrop is active only for a moment, and it cushions from a single powerful attack or damage. We also got the sign of Quen. It's a sim- is a simple magical sign used by witchers. When cast, it forms a protective field around the casting witcher, which protects him from sonic waves and similar attacks, like songs, you know? but not from physical blows. It expanded its expanded form can protect the wielder uh, or can protect the wider range of offensive actions contrary to heliotrope which is active only for a moment and cushions from a single powerful attack. Quen is active until broken or dispelled, which did actually happen when she screamed at him it broke through the sign of Quen, which was cool. Novellan's curse broken. When Novellan got cured or cursed, not cured, when Novellan got cursed by the priestess of Karam Ater, the wolf-headed spider, she mentioned something about love and blood. Remember when they were talking at the diner, at the dinner table, and he's like, do you remember what she said or how she cast it? And he's like, something about love and blood. When Verena is beheaded by the witcher, she had just proclaimed her love for Novellan, and, had, and he had already admitted to Geralt earlier that he loved her, and now... Uh, she was dead and bleeding all over Novellan. So that's what broke the curse. The fact that he had experienced love, true love, and she ended up dying, taking away the one thing that he actually loved. That's what broke the curse. 
And I thought that was a cool twist, you know, like in Beauty and the Beast, like, um, you know, it's just true love's kiss or whatever the heck is going on there. In this one, it's like you did something so bad, you know, to this priestess that this curse is only going to be broken once you find and actually have true love, then it has to die and the blood has to be on you. I thought that was like really dark, really cool. thoughts you there don okay we'll move on um i can't hear you for some reason don you still there all right we're gonna move on to uh bestiary and we'll see if we get don back um we got uh the moolah it's a type of intelligent vampire uh some bruxa alps and higher vampire um, like are the same as Bruxa, Alps, and Higher Vampire. It is immune to sun and can be sometimes mistaken with the previous two. So we kind of get um, a taste of that in the beginning when Geralt is like, are you a Mula? Are you an Elpor? So these are all types of vampire that um, are immune to the sun, which is pretty rare. And going on to Elpor, a.k.a. Alps, Alps are vampires that resemble Bruxa in appearance, they are called phantoms by some, a name which fits well enough for, like phantoms, they haunt and torment men. They usually take on the form of women, though they can also appear as animals. They are most often found prowling near villages. They attack at night and are most active when the moon is full. Elp saliva can make one fall asleep, and when applied to a sleeping man, can invoke horrible nightmares, which is similar to what we're seeing with Verena as the Bruxa. And moving on to Bruxa, Bruxa is a very powerful type of vampire that takes on the appearance of a dark-haired young man or young human, most often woman, but whose natural form is that of a large black bat with sharp fangs and claws. It is one of few vampire species not affected by the sun, the others being Alps and Mulas and higher vampires. Bruxa are very agile, and only silver swords are effective against them. While they have sharp claws for close-up attacks, they can also let out a piercing scream from further away that can send even a grown man flying through the air. The Bruxa are in the habit of singing in their native language, especially after they drink blood, and their songs are described as silent, shrill, and sickening. Thanks to these, Bruxa can manipulate and bend the will of any human by altering their dreams and turning them into horrible nightmares. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Random Book Club Podcast. Don, um, we didn't get reconnected, so I'll, I'll talk with you after the pod. I'll, I'll try to get connected with you. But um, just so everybody uh, knows, you can check us out on YouTube, listen to us on Apple uh, Google, we've got a subreddit, um, and you can listen to some of Don's brother's music by checking out the link in the description below. Uh, it's pretty great, and it'd be awesome if you could check that out. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you guys for listening. Be good to each other, and we'll check you on the next one. <laughs>